Bullseye with Jesse Thorne is a production of MaximumFun.org and is distributed by NPR. It's Bullseye. I'm Jesse Thorne. Just before Christmas this past year, the writer Joan Didion died. She was 87. Didion rose to fame for her journalism. She immersed herself in stories. In the late 60s, she broke through with slouching towards Bethlehem. In her career, she covered all kinds of different stuff. The counterculture, war, immigration. She also wrote a handful of acclaimed novels and some similarly acclaimed memoirs. A couple of weeks ago, the New Yorker's Hilton Alves wrote of Didion, Her genius, and it was genius, lay in her ability to combine the specific and the sweeping in a single paragraph, to understand that the details of why we hurt and alienate one another based on skin color, sex, class, fame, or politics are also what make us American. I never got to interview Didion. She became a pretty private person in her last years. But in 2017, there was a documentary about her. The film is called Joan Didion, The Center Will Not Hold. It's an intimate look at Didion's writing and her personal life. It paints a portrait of a person committed to their craft absolutely, someone who lived a life beset by tragedy. In 2003, Didion's husband, John Dunn, died of a heart attack. Not long after, she lost her daughter. The documentary was directed by Griffin Dunn, her nephew. Griffin Dunn is also an actor. He was in My Girl, the Martin Scorsese film After Hours, the TV show This Is Us, among others. I talked with Griffin Dunn about Joan Diddy in The Center Will Not Hold when it came out. Here's a little bit from the film. In this clip, Didion is reading from her book, The Year of Magical Thinking, which is about the loss of her husband. People often said that he finished sentences for me. Well, he did. He was between me and the world. He not only answered the telephone, he finished my sentences. He was the baffle between me and the world at large. Griffin Dunn, welcome to Bullseye. It's great to have you on the show. Thanks, Jesse. Good to be here. Were you scared to make a documentary about your aunt? Uh, yeah, I, I guess I did feel this incredible burden. From the moment she said, uh, yeah, okay, when I asked if she'd let me make a doc, the the gravity of what I had taken on hit. You know, it was uh, there was a lot to be, uh, you know, concerned and worried as scared is just as good a word you know i i grew up knowing as so many know that this is the importance that she has in the world and 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 the intense passion and ownership so much so many of her readers have about her work and and she's been such an influence on on so many people on you know from whether they become a writer or where they live or you know benchmarks in their life they can they can equate to what they were reading of hers so i i I hope to deliver something that would both honor her work and and show her fans or and people who didn't know anything about her what you know what she's like in her in her home and how much she laughs and and is and is engaged despite the gravitas and and uh, heaviness of 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 her observations about America and its darkest periods, um, that she is actually, you know, um, my Aunt Joan, who I grew up with hearing laughing all the time. I mean, one of the things that would scare me about making this movie, and it's also an incredible opportunity in making this movie, 
is that your Aunt Joan Didion has, you know, in uh, attaining icon status, one of the odd things about that is that uh, icons are necessarily abstracted. You know, they're reduced to a few lines. And your aunt had become like almost as much a, a, an object of like aesthetic admiration, like visual aesthetic admiration. Absolutely. As anything else. So mm-hmm. this brilliant, brilliant writer, one of the greatest of her generation, ran the risk of being the beautifully cool woman in the big sunglasses holding a cigarette in these famous images of her in the 1960s and 70s. Yeah. You know, and and, and I, I've always thought that one of the reasons that her, that she gained such readership at that period was that the photographs, those Julian Wasser photos of her standing in front of the, 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 the stingray, that's what drove people to the bookstore. They wanted to know who that woman was. What, what was she writing about? What was she like? You know, there was a, section in the in the in the uh, in the movie that that didn't uh end up making it that kind of addressed her image you know how conscious she was about it and and how conscious other people were about it and we interviewed uh phoebe philo who was a the marketing director at at um celine who was the woman that had the idea of putting Joan in a in a, a Celine ad, uh, a fashion ad, you know, and and it was enormously successful uh, and unusual to have an eighty year old woman in the big sunglasses promoting sunglasses or shoes. I don't know what they were selling, but uh, it whatever it is, it really caught on and sold very well. Um, she's she's always represented visually something very important to people. But I mean, that's a. That is both a gift to you and a challenge. I mean, the gift is that there are these beautiful images to show, and your aunt remains very beautiful. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you're making a movie. You're looking at things. Yeah, a visual medium. On the other hand, you have to think about, well, how do I let this, uh, you know, specifically non-visual art be represented in this you know, when I'm surrounded by all these incredibly powerful images. Uh, yeah, that was, that was certainly, that was certainly the challenge. Um, and you know, her, um, you know, in her writing, that was always the, the, the intent was to also visualize her, her prose, you know, and, and, but, and, and, and the things that she writes about, you know, from slouching the center will not hold. There are these incredible images of of families falling apart and 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 boards of lost and missing children that she she talks about and so putting the putting the pictures to uh her writing and putting her at from that time from the pictures taken at that time they 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 blended very well together it was sort of you know making that collage fabric kind of tapestry was was really the most fun in the editorial process we're taking a break we'll be back in just a second it's bullseye from maximumfun.org and npr it's bullseye i'm jesse thorne i'm talking with griffin dunn director of the documentary joan didion the center will not hold joan didion died last month 
She was 87. Let's get back into it. Was part of why you wanted to tell this story about your aunt that you and she share, particularly in light of her more recent books, which have been about grieving, mm-hmm. that you and she share a kind of survivorship status in this, you know, big, exciting family that, it, that, that, you know, you, there are further generations of your family, but you and she are sort of the last two standing in a way. Yeah. Yeah. I wouldn't say I was, I, I was very aware of that. But that that wasn't really the reason for making the movie. Um, but I was, you know, uh, you know, when John died, my 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 father kind of was sort of next in line to be like John. And then when he died, then I was. You know, I have dinner with uh, you know her. She has a group of friends, and of which you know, uh, and myself. All, all of us have dinner with her, you know, maybe once or twice a week. And she has, you know, people over all the time. So I, I long before I'd ever thought of, a, of the documentary, I was just sort of aware of, gosh, how I fit through attrition into her life. Um, what really motivated me was that I, I, I didn't realize there'd never been a documentary about her. And I, I kind of felt without getting too kind of heavy about it, I thought because of, you know, this is what I do is is make movies, while not documentaries necessarily, I felt obligated to to ask and 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 to make it because I knew I knew besides being a, a, a very personal experience for me, I also knew that there was a a real hunger for this, that there was like um that this would be something people would really, really want to see. Which has borne itself out, and and you know we had a way I got some of the money was was through a Kickstarter campaign, and the campaign had a trailer, and to raise money. Well, we raised money like by lunch on our first day, and um, and then the comments and the and the and the attention of the press from all over the world was huge. I'd never seen anything like it, so. Um, I kind of felt like um, like I was providing a service as well, you know, giving really able, uh, being the only person able to give what a lot of people really wanted to see. I want to play a clip from the movie, and my guest is Griffin Dunn. Uh, he's directed a new documentary called The Center Will Not Hold uh, about his aunt, Joan Didion. And one of the defining works of her career has been uh, a piece that became a book called Slouching Towards Bethlehem. It's about, as you described, Griffin, the kind of human realities of the abstract ideas about hippiedom and the sort of broader social meaning. And there's this scene in the piece that's about... uh, Joan Didion going to this apartment in San Francisco. She sees this little girl wearing white lipstick, licking her lips, five years old, and she's on acid. What was it like to be a journalist in the room when you saw the little kid on acid? Well, it was... It 
let me tell you, it was gold. I mean, th that's the long and the short of it is you, you, you live for, the, for, mom for moments like that if you're, if, you're, if you're doing a piece. Good or bad. That might be the most intense. It really is. I, I, I'd never... It's the most amazing moment in the movie. Um, I never tire of looking at it. To me, that line is, is, is just pure Joan. That says everything... When I saw that moment happen, I saw I saw the structure of the film. I saw the the, the character, kind of how to, how the balance goes from family to the the work. And because at that time, her daughter Quintana was two and a half years old, she was going to San Francisco for weeks at a time on assignment, and she missed her daughter terribly. So she could miss her daughter terribly, and then see a five year old be in this horrific situation and you think she's going to say you know what was it like well it was and you think she's going to say the most horrible thing i ever saw as a mother i feel so deeply i must no she says it was gold she can draw the line between how she sees the world as a journalist and how she feels things as a mother and that's how it's played out all her life you know when when so she can write a book like Year of Magical Thinking. She can write about it to investigate her own grief as as a uh, as a wife and and as a mother who's in in loss and grief. But she can write about it like a reporter. That's that's her balance, and that's the balance I tried to create in the movie as well. Was it difficult to ask your aunt about the? deaths of your uncle and cousin, which are, you know, central to her work and central to the film? Yeah, yeah, very much. I, I think in a way, um, in a way, I had a harder time asking than she did answering. Um, I think both were tough, but uh, I, I felt, you know, making her have to relive it and and talk about it, but at the same time, you know, she she's a journalist and is being interviewed and she knows, of course, I'm going to ask that and probably would not have any respect for me if I didn't, you know, go there. Um, so, um, she was, um, while it was very tough, um, there'd be also moments in the silences where she'd, you know, look up and go, you know, keep going, bring it on. I know where you're going. Um, so, I guess in a funny way, she made it, you know, easier. But it was extremely difficult. We'll finish up with Griffin Dunn after a quick break. Don't go anywhere. It's Bullseye from MaximumFun.org and NPR. I'm Lisa Hanawalt. And I'm Emily Heller. Nine years ago, we started a podcast to try and learn something new every episode. Things have gone a little off the rails since then. <laughs> Tune in to hear about... Low-stakes neighborhood drama. Gardening. The sordid, nasty underbelly of the horse girl lifestyle. Hot sauce. Addiction to TV and sweaty takes on celebrity culture. And the weirdest, grossest stuff you can find on wikipedia.org. We'll read all of it, no matter how gross. <laughs> There's something for everyone on our podcast, Baby G. Geniuses. Hosted by us, two horny adult idiots. Hang out with us as we try and fail to retain any knowledge at all. Every other week on Maximum Fun. It's Bullseye. I'm Jesse Thorne. 
My guest is actor and director Griffin Dunn. He made the film Joan Didion, The Center Will Not Hold, about his aunt. Didion died last month at 87. Let's get back into it. I want to talk before we're out of time with you a little bit about your acting career. Mm -hmm. You studied with three, three of the most important acting teachers of the 20th century. You were at the Neighborhood Playhouse during the very end of Sanford Meisner's career. Mm -hmm. You studied with Uta Hagen. Mm -hmm. um, and in Los Angeles, you studied with Stella Adler. That's right. Those are three teachers, each of whom has a very different perspective on acting. So starting with Sanford Meisner, uh, with whom you studied and also with whose protégés you, you'd yeah. study, because I think he was, it was very late in his life. Um, what did you learn about acting from him? Before I went to the Neighborhood Playhouse, I, I uh, uh, had known who Sanford Meisner was, and I'd read the, a book about the group theater that Howard Clerman had written, and, and I knew the roots from Stanislavski, and so I knew I was going to... Uh... Oh, and then on top of that, my father... Um, had also briefly studied with Sanford Meisner. He originally wanted to be a, an actor or a movie star, as he said. And <laughs> um, and Sanford said, you'll never make it as a movie star. You're too short. And dad took him at his word and, and quit acting. So I knew this was the guy who told my dad he was too short to be an actor. And I'm not that much taller. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I want to. I want to. I want to retroactively uh, let your father know, in case he, he's listening from heaven, uh, that I know from my own acting career as a very tall person uh, that while it is great in the world to be tall, uh, it does not particularly help on camera. Yeah, yeah, it's not a shoe in. <laughs> it's like the one place where it's not worth anything. No, actually. Uh, you know, Alan Ladd didn't need uh, that height. Yeah, they just—that's what they Tom have. Tom Cruise isn't sweating. Absolutely, it. that's what they got those uh, boxes for, um, to stand on. But um, so, so when when I got there, it was bad for me, and I know worse for him. But it was still bad for me that that Mister Meisner's larynx was removed shortly before I arrived. So he was speaking through one of those machines, you know, it was very monotone and it was, you know, very, uh, it was really weird because I'd, I'd seen stuff of him, you know, energetically, you know, getting involved in scenes with other actors, with the other actors and everything. So when I got there, it was, um, I don't want to do the voice, it'll sound like I'm making fun of it, but, but, but it, 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 was, it was to be getting notes as if by a computerized machine. I thought ah, I just missed it, you know. If if I just got here a year earlier, then I'd really get the Samford ex Meisner experience. That's a really like uh, uh, twenty. I don't know how old you were. I'm going to say twenty. Mm, uh, that, that's yeah. So that's a teenage actor. That's a teenage actor's perspective. Oh, without a doubt. <laughs> a man's I'm making life it all, him. But still, an actor who's going to be around because I'm making it all about me. Yeah. Um. So. I did, however, get the full um, the full head-on experience with with Uta Hagen, who uh, was was truly terrifying, um, 
And you know, and she for anyone who doesn't immediately recognize her name, she among other things wrote the book Respect for Acting, which is probably uh, the first uh, the first book that they hand you in any acting school, um, yeah. and was you know a, 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 an immensely legendary teacher into the into the twenty first century. She she only died ten or twelve years ago. Exactly, and she and and on on Broadway, she was the very first Martha. Uh, in in Edward Albee's Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf, and her method was still the the most effective and the most helpful that's uh, that I've known to this day. But she had a uh, she was tough, tough, tough. And uh, what I what I learned was um, the worst thing that could happen would be if she didn't yell at you because it meant she didn't really care. And the most cutting thing I ever saw happen was two actors in a scene that clearly wasn't going very well. She just didn't even take the time. And she just went, oh, okay, darlings. Oh, that was wonderful. Thank you. Who's up? And you could just feel a chill. Um, and those, uh, I don't know where those two young actors are today, but but that was a bad day for them. But she, you know, if she, it was like that that kind of old school thing where I like you so much, I believe in you so much, I'm going to torture you um, so that you can withstand all the hurt you're going to face once you leave this classroom and go out in the professional world. And then uh, Stella, <laughs> Stella I had for uh, one summer in Los Angeles. She, she was very, comp- you know, she was very helpful with me when I did a real serious scene. But when she get excited about something, she would hold on to her, her dress, the blouse that she had on the, the, and and she go, you gotta feel it from your heart. And she pulled down her hands, holding onto her dress, and exposed her breasts for one shocking brief moment, and then pulled the dress back up. And the cast would go, oh! and but that would be like, it's got to come from there. So I loved her. <laughs> <laughs> well, Griffin Dunn, I'm I've used uh, more <laughs> of your time than had been allotted to me, so. Thank you so much for making the time to to come and be on Bullseye. Thank you, Tess. Griffin Dunn from 2017. His beautiful documentary is called Joan Didion, The Center Will Not Hold. It's streaming on Netflix now. That's the end of another episode of Bullseye. Bullseye is created from the homes of me and the staff of Maximum Fun in and around greater Los Angeles, California, where right at this very moment... A man is in my crawl space with some all-weather, indoor-outdoor Ethernet cabling ready to connect this very computer that I'm talking to you on directly to the internet so I don't have to worry about dumb old Wi-Fi. Our show is produced by Speaking Into Microphones. Our senior producer is Kevin Ferguson. Our producer is Jesus Ambrosio. Production fellows at Maximum Fun are Richard Roby and Valerie Moffat. Our interstitial music is by Dan Wally, also known as DJW. Our theme song is Huddle Formation, recorded by the group The Go Team. Thanks to them and to their label Memphis Industries for sharing it with us. You can also keep up with our show on Twitter, Facebook, and YouTube. We post our stuff in all those places, as well as at npr.org. I think that's about it. Just remember, all great radio hosts have a signature sign-off. Bullseye with Jesse Thorne is a production of MaximumFun.org and is distributed by NPR. NPR.